You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where we are covering every episode of Malcolm the Middle, one by one, in chronological order. Today, we are covering Old Mrs. Old, which originally aired January 7th of 2001, was directed by Todd Holland, and written by Alan J. Higgins. Hi, I'm Jake, and why does every podcast end with group suicide with you? And I'm David, and I don't see you moving. Boy, there's some implication between the lines we chose for that. <laughs> right? We did not discuss this beforehand of course not it's better that way yeah because then i can unintentionally steal your intro yeah yeah or fail to like last time or unintentionally steal something else Uh uh-huh i hate you so much so to start covering this episode of course we'll begin with the cold open which features hal and malcolm playing a game of chess it is hal's turn and reaches for a piece which Malcolm makes a disapproving sound when he does. So how like pulls his fingers away, then he reaches for another piece. Uh, Malcolm once again ma- makes a noise, letting him know not to do that. I believe the order is knight, queen, and then he grabs the bishop, and Malcolm is like, yes. I believe that's right. I know for sure the second one is the queen. Yes. And then the piece that he moves is the bishop. Yes. Uh, then he moves the piece... And, like, leans back all satisfied with a smile. Then Malcolm says, Uh, And Hal sort of looks at him in confusion, repeating the sound a couple times before he he looks at the board and goes, Check? Check! (laughs) (laughs) And Malcolm continues just staring at him and goes, Muh. (laughs) And Hal, uh, a little bit more quickly... Figures out that he has Malcolm in checkmate and says checkmate and then runs off to tell Lois, all excited that he's beat Malcolm at chess. <laughs> then Malcolm turns to camera and says, well, he lets me win at basketball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can say this scene is, uh, like, playing chess with my dad, very relatable. Winning, No. My dad's a very competitive person. You already know this. Oh, oh absolutely same. My parents would <laughs> never let me win a game in a thousand years. Oh, and and I know. it goes back to my grandma, especially on my dad's side. My grandma was the, is the kind of person who would cheat mm-hmm. just constantly because she could not stand losing. Jake, you played Civilization with my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, same deal. Yeah. Except that, you know, your dad would be like, yeah, I cheated. Ah, ah, ah. My, my grandma would be like, I didn't cheat. Three people saw you. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't cheat. <laughs> I think it was my fourth game of chess with my dad when he did the three-move checkmate on me. Ah. So, like, my dad uh, my dad was a pretty good chess player. Like, not grandmaster or anything, right. but, like, he was good. And his way of teaching me and making me better was, here's the game, here's the rules. Okay, yeah, you understand all the rules now, you understand how everything works. Done. Yep. Okay, now beat me. Uh, you're done. Okay, now beat me. Yeah, no, that's exactly how chess went for me, learning from my dad as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. So the the episode itself, I have divided into three plot lines. Okay. Uh, The A plot, which is centered around Malcolm. The B plot, which is centered around mostly Dewey, with a little bit of Reese. Uh, And then, of course, the F plot. Yes. And as always, we will start with the F plot. It's tradition. Yes. And it begins with Francis on the phone with Lois. Uh, he's calling home, asking Lois if she's uh, run into Richie's mom recently. <laughs> Lois says she has, and that poor woman told her about all the trouble Richie gets into, and she suggested uh, sending him to military school before he gets any worse. 
Uh, and as they're having this conversation, when it cuts to Francis' side from Lois's, we see Richie sitting there, uh, looking, like, uh, traumatized with all of his stuff. He's, like, holding his uniforms and his little, like, uh, suitcase, briefcase thing and just rocking back and forth, shaking. It's uh, obviously at Marlin Academy. Uh, I love this scene. <laughs> Once Francis uh, is, is informed that very clearly Lois is the reason Richie has been sent here, he hangs up, turns to Richie, and says, Well, it wasn't my mom. Ah, uh, Francis. <laughs> then we see Richie's first morning at the Academy as he's being woken up by Francis, who's already, like, awake and uh, in his uniform and everything, and he's waking Richie up, telling him he can't sleep in here, it's not like home. He can't do whatever he wants. Failing to get him up, Spangler comes in for his morning inspections. First, Francis has to tell Richie that he needs to stand up when Spangler comes in, which Richie does very begrudgingly, still in his pajamas. Which Spangler immediately points out. Then Francis, like, apologizes for Richie. He's, like, trying to make excuses for him. I said he's, he's having trouble adjusting from civilian life. Richie asks Spangler if he's the guy who hands out the guns. He's very excited to assimilate to our military lifestyle, sir. And Spangler uh, turns his attention to Richie and <laughs> says he has his eye on him. <laughs> Which causes Richie to burst out laughing. He says, good one. That he explains what he has interpreted as Spangler's own joke to him. <laughs> because you've only got one eye. It's cool that you're cool with it. Like Popeye. And uh, when he uh, compares him to Popeye, Spangler laughs. Says he's never heard that one before. Uh, and he sort of walks out of the room chuckling to himself about the Popeye joke. Uh, which immediately sort of perplexes Francis. Understandably so. Then this perplexion uh, only multiplies by the time we get to the next scene, as Richie is in a bathrobe in his pajamas, like openly trying to, uh, like with a coat hanger. Yes, like a wire coat <clears throat> hanger, trying to get food out of the vending machine through the top, while uh, Francis and some of the other cadets are watching him from the common room. And they are trying to piece together why he's getting special treatment. They come up with some wild theories, including that Richie is Spangler's son. Yes, uh, that Richie is Spangler's son. The other theory is that Richie saved Spangler's life at some point. And uh, they're upset that he hasn't been made to cut his hair and that he's allowed to wear his pajamas to class. Uh, and then as they're, like, having this conversation, Spangler walks over to Richie and gives him money to get the thing he wants out of the vending machine. Which, Francis's theory that he posits is that it has nothing to do with Richie. Because he's known Richie his whole life, and it can't be related to that at all. It must be Spangler's getting soft. So as Spangler passes by, they all the cadets you know, stand at attention. Francis says, what's up, chief? And it hard cuts to Francis... Like, out in front of the academy, uh, with his rucksack full of gear held above his head. Uh-huh. Yeah. The next scene is Francis confronting Spangler, trying to figure out what's going on. And he points out that Richie thinks that he's immune to any punishment, uh, which Spangler says he is. <laughs> 
Uh, Francis is uh, trying to figure out why he has Spangler's just messing with his head. And Spangler says, not everything is about you. Cadet. And he explains that yeah, every problem has a unique solution. Uh, it's more than just problem. At this point, he specifically identifies uh, Richie as a threat to Marlin Academy. Yes, he, he also, during the course of this conversation, calls him a cancer. Yes, he does. <laughs> But he, he explains that while the solution for Francis was to beat him down like a dog, the solution for Richie is to kill him with kindness uh, by giving him all of these special privileges, which we find out extends to uh, giving him shiatsu massages while the other cadets are doing survival training. But, but his plan is to turn the other cadets against him and uh, have them beat him to death, or at least into unconsciousness. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the old, you know, schoolyard, prison yard justice thing. You know, turn everyone else against them, and they'll do your work for you. Yeah, well, the last two episodes especially, Spangler has, like, a very, like, old-school, like, period-piece prison warden vibe to a, him. A little bit, yeah. I can dig it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good fit for him. Yeah, it's it's really it works well with the Marlin Academy and the military school, like the air that they're trying to put on, because there's real military school and then they're what they're they're going for. Right. Um, which I think is hilarious. I just I love this arc so much. There's so much funny moments in this and it's not that long like as you're going through and like reading through the the synopsis of it it's like that that took longer than that to get there oh no no i guess it didn't that was like two minutes of film but yeah i just i love the way they do the short visual storytelling in this show and especially in this plot line for this episode it's great i think it's only four scenes total i think so yeah because yeah. this this is the second to last one yeah also it's noted spangler has another i should have started tracking this from the beginning he has yet another prosthetic hand uh adapter uh that he is using and it's like three little razor blades that he's using to like trim and pick up and hold a piece to a model tank that he is assembling uh while while talking to francis francis tells spangler that he's going to ruin his plan because he's going to tell richie what's going on and it'll solve everything which uh spangler so sort of bets that he won't because he hates Richie just as much as the other cadets. And Francis says he has to tell his friend, otherwise he'd be a traitor. And Spangler just says, you would be, wouldn't you? Like a very clear, trying to, like, continue destroying Francis move. <laughs> well, I, I took it almost like a dare. Like, yeah. I, feel like for, I feel like Spangler knows that it doesn't work for Francis either way. Right. Because, like, if he doesn't tell him and he gets his ass kicked, then it's like, what the hell, why didn't you warn me? Whereas when he does, we get what happened. Right. Yeah, going to the next scene is Francis uh, going back to their shared room to warn Richie about what's going on. Which <laughs> Richie is in full tennis garb, <laughs> including, like, a racket in its own, like, special case. Mm-hmm. And the, like, very, like, uh, 90s, 2000-esque, freaking sweatband that he's wearing like i realize people still wear them now but like it the whole like outfit screams 
like early 2000s country club to me. No, it's it's a much older look than that. Well, it's, it, it's like I would asso- I associate this look with like early 80s. Okay, maybe again, this is why I didn't use this for a certain award because <laughs> I'd never been to a country club until the mid 2000s, Jake. So this look is associated with that in my mind. I've forever. never been to a country club ever in my life, but I've watched a lot of movies from the 80s, and that's how people at country clubs are all dressed. Maybe I don't know. I don't really pay that much attention. I, it's been a couple years since I've watched a movie with a country club scene in it. I can't think of one. Anyways, uh, but I have been to one one time, and yeah, everyone was dressed like like that, or or the like hyper aggressive biz- business casual. It's like You're business right. casual, but like an extra button's undone and the sleeves are rolled up, which is weird. Why are you playing golf and or tennis in your khakis? No, that that makes sense for golf. You don't you don't need to dress special for golf. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look. Okay, I guess fair, but also who wants to wear that shit in the summer if you don't have to? Especially here. Yeah, I guess. But Francis, initially, when uh, he finds out that Richie is going to go play tennis and then go have an early dinner with Edwin. I'm not going to lie. I forgot that that was Spangler's first name. Fair enough. It's not used often. <laughs> but uh, he, he starts to, like, not tell Richie. But, but then uh, as Richie's leaving, he you know, realizes he has to. He has to be the good friend. And he uh, tells him what's going on. Which, of course, uh, Richie being the idiot that he is... Assumes that Francis is jealous of their friendship uh, and completely ignores him. And Francis just says, Okay, but remember, I warned you. (laughs) (laughs) Then, as he walks out, uh, Richie, (laughs) like no longer within view, says, Oh, hey guys, cool hoods. Which implies that uh, the. I can never remember their name. I always want to call them the Brotherhood of the Apocalypse, but I know that's not right. It's something like that. It's close to that, though. Yes. Fuck. All right, Googling. It's the Brothers of the Apocalypse, not the Brotherhood. Okay. But immediately, that's what it calls to mind for me that they've, like, resurrected this. specifically to the torture Richie. That's right. The Brothers of the Apocalypse and you hear the punching sounds. Yes. Which is the last thing as as it fades away from Francis laying there on his bed with his contented smile of the I told you so. He warned him. Yeah. He was a good friend-ish. Yeah. He was was the the bare minimum for a good friend. Correct. (laughs) That wraps up the F-plot so let's move to the B plot. Ah, uh, yes. The Dewey plot line, which begins with Dewey walking home from school uh, with his backpack on the ground in front of him. He's like kicking it home, <laughs> just kicking it a few feet, walking forward, kicking it again until he kicks it into a lawnmower. <laughs> Yep. And he arrives home with the destroyed backpack, which he takes to Lois, and says he broke another backpack. Which Lois questions how he keeps doing this. <laughs> and he just says, I don't know. Oh, Dewey. And Lois says she's not going to buy him another new backpack. He just needs to go to the closet and find something for him to use. Which he does. As he pulls out, like, a bunch of bags out of the closet, and he decides on one of Lois's purses. That's, like, a big, like, floral... Like, uh, I believe the correct term for it is a coach bag. It's a big purse. Yeah, I believe that's the right style. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't... 
I didn't really search that up, but I I think it would classify. It's got the big it's got the big hoops and it's really big. I, yeah. I think it's a coach purse. Sure. Yeah. Someone who knows more about purses, correct us if we're wrong. Yeah. But he, having selected this, uh, Reese immediately starts telling him not to use this. Uh, it's, it's not a backpack, it's a purse. Uh, Dewey just says, but I like it. In cue, some of the most memorable and relatable Reese moments of the show for me so far. Yeah? Everything Reese does here reminds me of how we interacted as kids. Like throwing rocks. At Dewey, claiming he's trying to protect him. Yeah, which uh, we, we see, like, Reese confronting him, like, as he's wearing the, the purse going to school. Reese is explaining to him why he shouldn't wear this, because it sends a message to guys like him. Which is another nice little bit of, like, self-awareness from Reese. Yes. Basically, the, 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 if he wears this purse, he's going to get beat up. Uh, it sort of explains the mentality of the bully. Say, normal kid, normal kid, kid with a purse. <laughs> who, who do you think's getting beat up? What if one of the normal kids is fat? Reese explains that that kid will still be fat tomorrow, but the other kid may not wear the purse again. So he's getting picked on. Yes. Reese then tries to steal the purse from Dewey, but Dewey pulls it away and runs off, which then leads to, uh, as you already said, <laughs> Reese throwing rocks at him while screaming, I'm trying to protect you. <laughs> which, yeah, uh, 100%. So, uh, small tangent here. My friends have been, like, the people who have hurt me the most in my life. So it's fitting and really relatable to me to have Reese... Be like, I'm trying to protect you while throwing rocks at Dewey. Um, I have a scar above my left eye from where one of my friends threw our frisbee onto the roof and then was jokingly picked up one of those old metal hammerhead sprinklers and was like, here, we'll play with this, haha, and pretended to throw it and then it slipped out of his hands and all I hear is whoops and then it splits open my head to the bone. And then I also have a circular scar in just below my sternum where my buddy Cruz messed with our like dirt bike track uh, without telling me after having removed the rubber stoppers on my bike and on the handlebars and the handlebar went into my chest and I lost consciousness and it's a nasty scar and I could go on guys these are just a few stories just a few I have at least four more scars that are my friends' faults, including the one where I got stabbed with a knife. But that's that's a much longer story. And every single time, it's like this sort of innocent but brutal, you know, thing where it. Yeah, no, it was it was like a a known thing that if a horrific accident was going to happen in our friend group, it was going to be happening to you. Yeah, I hate you guys so much. <laughs> But also, these are my friends. But Reese's next tactic to get Dewey to stop wearing the purse is he brings a new backpack to him. Says, you know how I never got you anything for your birthday? Dewey says, yeah. Well, I got you this new backpack. It even comes with a whistle. When, when Reese blows the whistle, Dewey, like, flinches and, like, pulls his arms up protectively. Uh, like he's about to be punched. Which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when Reese says, uh, you know... Why are you flinching? I'm trying to be nice, Dewey says, because I'm not going to take it. <laughs> and then Reese pins him to the bed with the backpack and tells him, you're going to take it. You're going to wear it whether you want to or not. Yeah. It's uh, very similar to the last episode. 
yeah. whether he's trying to be nice. Yep. He just doesn't know how, Jake. He just can't do it. He needs a teacher. <laughs> then he goes to Hal to try to get him to intervene, which is an interesting conversation. <laughs> Hal first says... It's just a phase, but uh, as Reese, like, further tries to push the issue, Hal, like, weirdly, like, like Hal, through this conversation, goes through, like, phases becoming more progressive, like, in a single conversation. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like, he, he starts with the, like, problematic, it's just a phase. Then, then he goes into, says he's not condoning it exactly, but then he starts going on, like, this tangent about how he's often been jealous of Lois's versus himself. We, as men, have to cram all of our lives into this tiny little leather square, and then we have to sit on it. And then he, like, concludes with uh, saying, you know, what do we wear the purse? It could be a trailblazer for the rest of us. <laughs> it's very clear, like, through the course of this conversation, that Hal very badly wants to be wearing a purse instead of carrying a wallet. Yeah, he... he... Very much so at the end of this, puts his, like, reading glasses back on with kind of that, like, wistful look like he is envisioning himself with a merce. Uh, it, it is a thing, like, as a thing Terry Crews was pushing for, like, a couple years ago. Like, apparently, like, once he had kids, he was like, yeah, I wear a purse because I have a lot of shit I have to carry around. It's dumb that this is a gendered thing. Yeah, I'm I'm down with that. If that's if that's what you want to do, like I will yeah. never do it. But it is because actually of wearing a bunch of military gear, doing other stuff. Like I don't like straps around me. I like pockets. I like things with pouches and pockets. Yeah, fair. Pouches and pockets are my thing. And if I can't fit it in a pouch or a pocket, I don't fucking need it. Dang. It is a whole thing. Like, the, the like, existence of the person, like, the woman complaining about, like, how small their pockets are is, like, a related thing. It's, like, a whole weird, like, openly sexist thing going back to, like, uh, I believe Victorian England is, I think, where that started. I believe it. You cannot put pockets in a corset. Yeah. Well, it, it was a thing of, like, they, they took pockets from women once, like, pockets started being used to carry money because they didn't want women to be able to easily carry money around. Anyone should be able to carry a purse if you want to. Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that. Anyone should be able to have pockets. Pants without pockets are the dumbest fucking thing in the world. Agreed. I get annoyed. I have to wear nice dress shirts. Like, I've been in a uniform most of my life at work. Now I have to wear these nice dress shirts, and I found some really nice ones. But I am annoyed after buying them, and I didn't realize they don't have the fucking pocket. Like, the, the chest breast pocket for, like, pens and shit. And especially right now during COVID, like, that's where I put my fucking mask. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so much... Where the fuck do I put my mask? It's so annoying. I hate it. Pockets and pouches, I'm telling you. <laughs> you would have made a great 90s X-Man, David. Oh, a thousand... Yes. Yes. <laughs> put me... Look, I don't give a fuck. Put me in tight spandex. I'll look horrible. But if you give me belts with pouches, I'll be fine. I can carry... I, I sympathize with fucking Batman. I also can put everything on my utility belt. All right? I have spent enough time in Camp Guernsey doing military simulation stuff i can carry three days worth of supplies on a battle belt all right so the people who think batman's utility belt is unrealistic just don't know how to work their pouches 
End of rant. The final scene of this plot line, uh, we, we start with Reese. The camera's initially following Reese as he walks to a kid who's like, has an armful of books and uh, notebooks and, and stuff like that. And Reese just throws the backpack he was trying to give Dewey at him and says, here, I don't need this anymore. This is clearly the kid who he stole the backpack from. He very clearly did not buy this for Dewey. Oh, God, no. I, I assume Reese doesn't buy it anything fair <laughs> then reese like stops as he sees dewey is surrounded by uh three bullies who are calling him percy and making fun of his purse then one of the kids says uh if you have a purse you must be a girl and dewey says no i'm not and the other kid says are you calling me a liar then dewey <laughs> swings the purse into that kid's gut which like just drops him <laughs> and he like turns and swings and hits another one in the head <laughs> then he like starts wildly swinging it around until they like all run away <laughs> And then Dewey very calmly just opens his purse, pulls a brick out, and drops it on the ground. <laughs> it should be noted, Reese sees Dewey and the, the bullies and, like, goes to intervene and then stops himself because he's got to learn. Yeah, it's for his own good, he says. Which, again, another moment where I was super relating to Reese. I have been in eight fights in my life six to eight somewhere in there every last one of them has been because of my brother yeah, yeah. We, um, we talked about that last episode yep, yeah yeah and and every last time it's like okay 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 he's had enough and then you know you have to intervene so <laughs> that that moment of reese going and then stopping himself he's gonna have to learn i've been there <laughs> And th this uh, plot line just ends with, like, Reese walking over and, and, like, with a look of pride on his face <laughs> as he walks with Dewey to school. Yeah. <laughs> that just leaves the A plot. Ah, uh, yeah. This is gonna <laughs> be a... This is a plot. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts with Reese explaining the rules to the new game he's invented... Uh, the rules of which that we hear are you have to spin twice before swinging and hitting the ball. It's, it's sort of like baseball, but they're, instead of a bat, they have a hockey stick. And they're playing with a tennis ball. Uh, and he explains that if you hit a car with the ball, you get a point. If you hit a fire hydrant, you get two points. If someone catches the ball, that's one out. If they hit you with the ball, that's two outs. Then, uh, I can't remember what triggers the Google. Yeah, I don't remember, but he says if we do something, I'll, then I'll Google. We'll address that when I get there. Yeah. God, I wish I could remember. Also, why didn't I just go with that? That would have been such a good award for... Ugh. Anyways. If you're referring to what I think you are, the, the Google thing is not a reference to the company Google. I'm aware. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That, that's why it works. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Right? Instead, I went... Uh, we'll talk about it later. But Mal Malcolm turns to a uh, camera as he's, like, getting ready to be first up to bat. Uh, and he says, uh, <laughs> Reese can't pass his uh, math class, but he's invented, like, 50 games and they're all fun. <laughs> Which kind of goes back to the, uh, the, the comment from the audience about this show exploring, like, genius in different avenues and aspects. Uh, it, it's interesting to see this comment pointed out by Malcolm about Reese. He's very much so the, uh, the street smart, I guess, aspect of the family. Yeah, it's a weird thing where, like, Reese reminded me of my dad. 
Yeah. Because my dad is known to, like, just come up with weird-ass, dumb games like this. Yeah. Or just random shit to do. Yeah. 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 I remember that shit. My my, my personal favorite thing that my dad has turned into a game is what we just call Boo. And it's my favorite, because it's a thing my dad started where he would, like, try to sneak up on you and scare you. The, The problem with this being that my dad is, like... The easiest person in the world to scare. <laughs> so immediately, my entire family, for like over a decade now, has just been torturing him with this game that he invented. We've gone to like very extreme lengths to do this. Like at one point, uh, my, my mom has like hidden under a like futon style couch for like 20 minutes waiting for him to like grab his ankles as he passes i one time because because he knew it was coming for halloween he did in another very my dad move he took a drill and screwed my door shut to my bedroom <laughs> locking me in my do- my room like early in the morning uh which i immediately was like i heard him doing this it woke me up i know my door screwed shut i'll just climb out the window go around the house go in the back door and then i waited like, crouched down in the kitchen for, like, an hour <laughs> until he went to get something out of the fridge, and then I ran out and scared him. That, oh, good God. That <laughs> sounds so much like your dad. And your dad's reactions to, like, if we'd had cell phones back then, Jesus, we could have made a million dollars on YouTube. Like, you say back then. I did this in college. <laughs> That makes sense. I should have filmed it. You should have. I I was thinking like when we were kids, like I I remember you guys fucking with him and and your dad getting scared of stuff when we were hanging out as kids out in in Wardwell. And your dad's reactions to being scared are the funniest shit ever. Oh yeah. Like it, it can be a little thing and he will like full karate kid crane style like freak out like arms flail and one leg comes up off the ground and he looks over and oh shit like it is so great it is it is the most fun to watch ever and i don't think i've ever actually scared uncle once but i've seen him react to this a million times oh i've scared him hundreds of times he's gotten me maybe five times over the course of my <laughs> life. He is not good at this game that he has created. That sounds about right. <laughs> Malcolm immediately hits the ball into a yard, which they immediately say, oh no, uh, not Mrs. Griffin's yard. She is like the neighborhood mean old lady who, who doesn't like kids going in her yard. Yeah, and unfortunately their mean old person had a fence. Ours didn't, so we could get our stuff back. But they all, like, line up at the fence, looking into the yard at the ball. Malcolm is, you know, talking about how they should be able to go get it. You know, just because she's a crazy old lady doesn't mean she has the right to keep their ball and all this stuff, and and he should just go get it. It's very Sandlot-esque. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Uh, That also could have been a good uh, OK Boomer award. Fuck. Yeah, you're right. But after, like, talking himself up a little and Dewey uh, pointing out, you're not moving, (laughs) after him saying he should just go get it, uh, Malcolm finally gets up the nerve and goes to grab the ball. Uh, As he picks it up, uh, Mrs. Griffin grabs his wrist and starts yelling at him for being in her yard. He says he, he's just there to get their ball. And she says, my yard, my ball. Then she grabs Malcolm by the hair 
and, and is like dragging him. Uh, she says, choose boy, ball or hair? Which at that point, Malcolm pushes her down. Yeah. Then it cuts to Malcolm in front of Lois. Uh, she is yelling at him and like trying to get the story out of him uh trying to understand why he pushed an old woman down and broke her arm you broke her arm for a ball and i was like trying to, to like help him as it wasn't like a special ball <laughs> Teresa in the background holding a box of cereal yeah we'll talk about that later <laughs> just says no, it was just an ordinary tennis ball. Like, immediately selling him out. Well, Lois says he should be glad that they're not being sued because they have nothing. They're too poor to be sued. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, the amount of times I heard that in my childhood. They can sue us. What are they going to do? What are they going to get? Instead of a lawsuit, Malcolm is going to have to go after school every day to help Mrs. Griffin until her arm is better. Yeah. Then we see Malcolm's first day helping her. He's talking to cameras. He's like in front of the door uh, talking about how maybe it won't be so bad. He was uh, partially responsible for what happened. And he, he was trespassing after all. Then he knocks on the door and in a bit of foreshadowing for everyone who's watched the show before, unlike David, uh, he says, uh, maybe she'll be like a grandma. Not like my grandma, but like a nice grandma. <laughs> yeah, there's been enough hints in the show now. Like, I've picked up that his grandma's a horrible, horrible person. Oh, she's she's so good, though. Yeah? Yeah, she's such a good character. She, she's coming in this season. Oh, really? Yep. Interesting. But immediately she opens the door and hands him a jar. Uh, she wants him to be drug tested. <laughs> she won't have a drug in her house. <sighs> It's yeah. going to be about the least offensive thing she says the rest of the episode. Yeah, I dislike this woman. Well, she's not great. I don't think she's meant to be. She's not, and that's the only like saving grace, I think, for this episode, is we've had problematic episodes before in this show where like the gag or the bit, they don't really address that it's bad. Yeah, this one they definitely do. It, this is very clearly they know what they're going for, and I think that's the joke, is that this person is this horrible and is awful. Yeah, and, for and sure. It, it reminds me a lot, actually this whole episode reminds me a lot of King of the Hill. I, excuse me, Hank of the Hill. Not, not that I think about it, but like, this character reminds me a lot of Hank's dad, Cotton. Yes. Like, they're very similar characters, and then now that I think about it, the Dewey plotline reminds me a lot of the uh, plotline where Bobby goes to a, like, woman's self-defense class and, oh, and ends yeah. up using it. Which, which is one of my favorite episodes. I feel like Cotton's more likable over time, though, than this character is. Oh. Uh, oof. I, I don't know, man. To be fair, I haven't watched as much uh, King of the Hill as you have. Uh, the thing about that show is, like, they they go to great pains both to, like, make him more, what, to, like, humanize him and make him more likable sometimes, and then other times they go, they, they're, they're like, remember how we made you like him last episode? Well, here's him being even worse than before. Okay. But, uh, we, we then get to see the inside of Mrs. Griffin's house for the first time. She's a hoarder. Yes. And a crazy cat lady. And a lot of other things. Yeah, her, her house is full of junk, uh, including, like, bales of newspaper, 
which she has Malcolm moving. <laughs> when he questions her, are you going to read these? <laughs> she says, what, are you writing a book? <laughs> Just move them. She also yells at Malcolm for putting rubber bands in the wrong jars. Clearly, this is the rubber band jar. Yeah. And the only difference between the jars is one has a red lid. This is also where we start getting her first, like, spouts of racism towards, like, every ethnicity. <laughs> yes, I mean, she she does a pretty good job of offending everyone. Well, mostly, mostly it's European yeah. ethnic groups. Yeah, you're right. I don't think she mentions anyone from, like, the Asian... No, uh, no anti-Asian and no anti-black statements. But uh, other than that, she covers oh, her bases. she definitely thinks... She definitely has those. Oh, for there. sure. Yeah. This woman is a monster. Which which one's first again? Is it the Lithuanian? No. Okay. We, we, we went through and made a list of every ethnic group that she insults. We sure did. Because th this is where she asked Malka what he oh, is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, how what we are get into the racist stuff. Yeah. Uh, and she speculates that he could be a Swede. Uh, he could be Polish. But of course, she uses the racial slur instead. Or Apache. Then when Malcolm says he doesn't know what he is, she calls him a mutt. Yeah. Which I have listed as uh, being insulting to mixed race people. Uh, because yeah, it is. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, after that comment, Malcolm, is this where he moves the... Yeah, he, yeah. he, oh, he says he's just going to ignore everything she says because this woman is horrible. And he goes to move a box for her, which, like, there's a running fan behind that box, which blows open her, like, bathrobes that she's wearing. And Malcolm presumably now sees full frontal old lady. Yes, we come back to this plot line with Malcolm laying in his bed, talking about how he can't get the image of what he saw out of his brain. Yeah, I get that. And then Lois comes in and asks him why he isn't helping Mrs. Griffin. And he, of course, lies. He says, he actually yeah, strings like a bunch of lies together. Yeah, he does. Uh, he, he says that she's feeling better because they made a new medicine that helps old people with their bones. Yeah, it's really good for old people's bones. <laughs> that uh, he thinks Mrs. Griffin's just, you know, too proud. She doesn't like it when he helps her. So uh, she told him he doesn't have to anymore. And then, of course, Mrs. Griffin walks in from the hallway behind Lois, uh, revealing that Malcolm is lying. Then uh, we see Mrs. Griffin driving to the pharmacy with Malcolm with her. She's calling him a liar and talking about how he's going to be punished for his lying. And she makes an offensive comment about Greeks. Yep, and sailors. Well, specifically Greek sailors. Specifically, yeah. Uh, and God. she goes to scratch her arm, like, taking her hands completely off the wheels, which Malcolm, like, panics and goes to grab the uh, wheel. Which she then yells at him for. Then we see Malcolm rubbing Mrs. Griffin's feet with lotion. And she tells him he's going to need a knife for when he uh, gets to her corns. Ugh. And she is uh, taking her pain medications and talking about how she hasn't felt anything, even though she's taken all these pills. Uh, she's also drinking, which Malcolm tells her he doesn't think she's supposed to do. And she's going on a little rant. This is another racial thing. Yeah. This is the German one. Well, first, 
uh, as she she mentions that she thinks her doctor might be Hungarian. You know uh, what? And, we and missed the Lithuanian. Comment. Uh, we, yes, we did. Yeah, uh, we we missed a, we missed the uh, insulting comments about Lithuanians and Dutch people. Yep. God. Yeah, so we've hit Lithuanian, Dutch, Greek. So then she speculates about her doctor being a Hungarian. Yeah. I, technically, she doesn't say anything bad about Hungarians there, but, but it's, it's implied. But it's implied, yeah. Uh, and then uh, she says his name is Dr. Freeman, and she... Uh, says that's uh, Ellis Island hand-me-down or something like that. Uh, she, she says, if that's not an Ellis Island hand-me-down, then I'll eat my Sunday hat. Which I have listed as general xenophobia. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. then she says Malcolm has tiny hands like her uh, kraut housekeeper. This lady pisses me off so bad. I wanted to punch her the entire episode. And it's pretty awful. Yeah. I'm okay with Malcolm breaking her arm. Fair. <laughs> I was okay with Malcolm breaking her arm when he broke her arm. And now learning all of this, I'm like, eh, you deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to have any sympathy for her. Yeah, self-defense is a thing, and I'm fine with it. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, I have no issue with what Malcolm did, but I also understand from, like, Lois's perspective why she would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it always gets spin, and you don't believe, you can't believe the kid. Oh, absolutely not. Especially not. <laughs> yeah, especially this kid. <laughs> yeah, especially this kid, and especially this, like, time period. Like, this is, this is not the time period where, you know, oh, little Johnny, you're so great. No, this is, this is still, like, classic freaking parenting of, yeah, well, I'm gonna whoop your ass, and then when they leave, I'm gonna whoop your ass harder. Like, Lois just strikes me as that mom a little bit. Oh yeah, a little bit. I I feel like mostly she. I, I feel like Lo, Lois mostly doesn't have to do that. I, I feel like she's when. Okay, let me clarify. I don't think she's actually going to like physically whoop their ass. Oh okay. no, Lois. Lois is the person who's like, oh, you're in so much trouble, and you know while they're still around, oh yeah, you're raking up all the dog shit, and then you know when they're gone, it's like okay, and now where's your toothbrush because you're cleaning my floors with it. You know, like she does all mental torture and things that just ruin your life yeah but malcolm finally like snaps and just starts yelling at mrs griffin about how horrible of a person she is but as he like wraps up he realizes that she has completely passed out due to the mixing up her pain medication and the alcohol so he calls the crow boys uh, specifically lloyd dabney Eraserhead, and stevie all come over to try to assess. <laughs> I, I feel like he called them because he, he was worried that, like, she was going to, like, overdose and kill herself and he would be held responsible. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting, too, because you, you now have a very clinical discussion with all these kids. Yeah, it's very, like... Very briefly, like an episode of House. <laughs> it starts with them, like, checking her eyes with, with a flashlight. Then they start, like, listing the medications that she's taken. Uh, Stevie asks if she's on a certain medication, and Lloyd very dismissively uh, says that they haven't used that medication since the 80s. No, it's not that he, he, they haven't used it. See, the problem is, is that those medicines have been contraindicated since 87, so you can't prescribe them at the same time to a patient. Okay. I understood everything they said in this scene. Gotcha. Yeah. Also, House is one of my favorite shows. Why'd <laughs> you have to compare it to that? Because that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, a little bit. And you get an interesting uh, look at, uh, I believe it's Dabney's homeland. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Dabney 
uh, says it, it's a classic interaction of pain medication and alcohol, and, and if she's anything like his mom, then she'll be out for at least four hours. <laughs> now, which, if you'll recall, Dabney's mom was the, like, alpha mom that Lois took down at the Krellboyne picnic. Maybe that's why she uses sedatives and alcohol now. But the Krellboynes then realize that they are completely unsupervised. They can do whatever they want in this house. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Eraserhead says that, and they all, like, look and smile and, like, nod, and then it hard cuts to Eraserhead playing, like, a ragtime song on a piano. <laughs> and Lloyd and Dabney are, like, sitting next to each other watching him. And Lloyd says, is this what you were thinking? And Dabney says, no. I was thinking something more like this. And he grabs a pillow and uh, knocks Eraserhead off the piano stool. Then... <laughs> We see the Krellboins continuing their unsupervised fun, which is Stevie, Malcolm, and Eraserhead are all eating ice cream and, like, a bunch of just junk food, while Lloyd and Dabney are acting out a streetcar named Desire <laughs> with Mrs. Griffin's cats. Yeah, it took me a minute to recognize what they were acting out to, I'm not gonna lie. I, I didn't get it on the first live, but, but on the... Uh, I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Same. Uh, which, uh, it is, like, very clearly, like, a truncated version of the play. It's just, like, the most memorable lines of the play back-to-back. -back. Yeah. Yeah, they're not in order at all. No. <laughs> then, uh, they, they clap and cheer as they end, of course, on the Stella scream. Uh, and then, uh, they, they've run out of things to do. Uh, but uh, they still have time, and they feel like they're wasting it. And surely, well, with Malcolm's... How do they phrase it? Reckless abandon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and their brains. They should be able to think of something to do. And that something is stealing Mrs. Griffin's car and taking it for a joyride. Uh, with Lloyd and Dabney, like, putting their heads out the window, screaming to the world, as they do. Malcolm justifying, uh, talking to camera, saying that, uh, rubbing her corns is worth at least an hour joyride. Uh, but then the Krellboyne spot something ahead, and they all duck down out of sight. And Malcolm is confused. <laughs> he asks what they saw, and then he makes eye contact with Lois as she is passing by going the opposite direction. You get like a slow down gangland drive-by scene. It's great. And, and as Lois like sees him driving, she, her jaw literally drops. Then Malcolm pulls off, it looks like onto like a side road or an alley, freaking out uh, because Lois very clearly saw him. And they they uh, are all freaking out till Malcolm points out that he thinks Lois only saw him. Yeah. <laughs> then it cuts back, and all of the Krellboins are just gone with the doors of the car open. And Malcolm looks down at the passenger seat where Stevie was sitting, <laughs> and sort of sighs and says, Do you want help, Stevie? Pop the trunk. God, Stevie's great. <laughs> he is. Also, I just love the implication that he tried to run with the other kids. Yes. His fear overtook his cautious. Malcolm goes back to Mrs. Griffin's house. He puts the keys back in her purse, which she catches him doing, and asks if he's come back to steal her jewelry. And Malcolm immediately starts pleading with her not to uh, tell Lois... To, to at least give him a five-second head start so he can run for Mexico. Oh, that's another one we missed. She slurs Mexicans, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, when Malcolm asks... Uh, About takeout. Takeout, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> There's just so many. Yeah, I, I just... Look, 
we gotta point out all the bad things. Yes. Because she's awful, and this woman's a monster. Of course, Lois is pounding on the door as Malcolm is pleading for mercy. Then Mrs. Griffin opens the door. Uh, Lois immediately, like, calls Malcolm to her and then starts apologizing. And Mrs. Griffin says, for what? And she says that uh, Malcolm saved her. He took her to the hospital because there was a mix-up with her medications. And she was passed out in the back seat. Yes, and Malcolm is such a nice boy uh, that in addition to this, he agreed that he's going to start coming over before school, too. And uh, as old as she is, it'll be months before her arm is healed. A brief moment where it looks like she's uh, legitimately trying to help Malcolm, which very clearly then just turns to her uh, trying to get more free labor from him. Yeah. Which Malcolm goes along with because he would rather do that than deal with the shitstorm he would have from Lois otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense. But that uh, pretty much wraps up that line. It ends with the revelation of Mrs. Griffin uh, getting him to agree to more uh, free labor. Yep, that wraps up the show. Yep. Uh, Mrs. Griffin is awful. Because, like, you don't even get the, like... Not that it's an excuse. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I have less of a straight up you're a monster versus you just are super ignorant towards like people who just like very clearly were you know not exposed to and and weren't raised to know any better that is not the vibes you get from this woman at all like she's a shitty person and she knows it oh yeah she's like a like cartoonish level of like the stereotypical bigot yeah, it's bad. Like she she has no redeeming qualities at all. No, no. Yeah, it's, it's even the one like moment where she kind of could have been. She then uses that to manipulate and like yeah. Eh, eh. Not to mention the start of this whole exchange. She assaults him. Yeah, twice. Yeah, and like the the, the grabbing the wrist thing is. It's not great, obviously. Don't do that to a kid. But 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 it's not awful. The, the grabbing the hair and like dragging him, saying that that's horrific. Yeah, that's that's assault. Yeah, straight up, hundred percent. And oh my god, it's assault on a minor. Like yeah, yeah. I, I have no issue with Malcolm shoving her there. No, me either. She deserved it. And then you find out she's a racist monster who's a hoarder. The the hoarder thing. I I don't I don't see that as a immoral fate or anything. Depends on why you do it. I guess. Generally, the, the person being harmed by the hoarding going on is the person who's hoarding it. No. I don't think you've dealt with this as much as I have. <laughs> I've dealt with a lot of hoarders. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. It harms everyone around them. It causes, like, damage to even, like, the ecosystem around where they are. Look, if you have a mental disorder that's causing this, right? then I'm... But, like, there are some people who are just legitimately this, like, lazy. And this doesn't... She doesn't look like a compulsive hoarder. She's just gross. Maybe, yeah. The only thing that's compulsive about her house is the freaking newspapers. It's the only thing that seems compulsive. The rest of it's just gross hoarding. Maybe. There's some level of that, like, obsessive nature to this no matter what. 
if it's really hoarding. And again, that's where you have, from what I understand, I could be wrong, but the difference between like actually hoarding and just someone who's dirty. Gotcha. And gross. Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. This seems more like hoarding to me. Like between the newspapers and then the like insistence on the proper rubber band jar and stuff like that. It seems more like hoarding. You're fair, I guess. But that issue aside, she's still a horrible person. Yeah, she's awful. Super racist. But you know, what's not awful is our awards! Awards. Good segue, Jake. (laughs) And by good, I mean awful. Well, and since we're on the topic anyways, for my OK Boomer Award, the award... That goes to a detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. I have old-timey racism against white people. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just white people, Jake. Uh, no, but I've still, you know, heard people express, you know, racist sentiments, I guess, uh, among the groups that she was against Native Americans and against Mexican people. I haven't heard, you know, anti-German racism since... My childhood. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. It's, that that particular brand of racism mm. is what is getting the OK Boomer Award. Well, speaking of brands, there's a very specific brand that's gonna get mine, and that's Kellogg's. Okay. So in I went on a deep that's dive what you here. Do that much research for? Just just wait. No, it was not. Was Kellogg's who made corn pops? If that's where you're thinking, how simple this is. No. I don't understand what the research is. I would, I consider that. I went, oh, it's the old Kellogg's pop cereal box. I remember those. That could be an award. No. Okay. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. You're wrong. It, it couldn't have been. Okay. So okay. Now, hang on. Yes, Reese is eating corn pops. In the scene where he throws Malcolm under the bus for it just being a regular ball. So I started looking at that Corn Pops box and I was like, that looks slightly different than the one that we just bought. So I did some research and went digging into Corn Pops box and Kellogg's. And I had, in order to confirm my suspicion, I had to look and look up all the different Kellogg's versions of the exact same emblem that they've used, and they've only used the sunset, like, a couple of different times throughout history, or sunrise, pardon me, there, uh, which this box that Reese is holding has on it, Uh but also, this is one of the few periods of time where there's not uh, one of the Corn Pop slogans on the Corn Pop box. Uh, because they used from, I believe it was 1980-something or 1970 until 2000, they used the slogan, uh, Can't Get Enough of My Pops. And then that came back for a year in 2007 and then continued to the present, alternating with other random things. And then they also started adding things like golden, crunchy, and sweet or something like that on the box. But there was a period of time from 2000 to 2007 where that was not on the box. And that was not on the box that Reese is holding. Therefore, that gets my OK Boomer Award, putting this perfectly in that. I I appreciate your research. I still contend you could have just said it's an old Kellogg's corn pop box and been done. Yeah, but I couldn't prove (laughs) that because I I didn't. I remember the box from my childhood. I didn't. 
Jake, now I Now I want corn pops. I didn't have box cereal when I was younger. Oh, yeah. I had yeah, bag we, cereal. We've had this discussion on yeah. the podcast before. That's Look, like, yeah. I was like, I think that's a thing. Fuck. And then I, I had to do, what, half an hour of Googling and researching and, like... <laughs> By the way, I could have, like, not to the, the same level of detail, obviously, but I could have told you the, the Kellogg's Sunrising thing. I, I I think of that as the Kellogg's logo from my childhood. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, apparently they're back to using it, which is what caused okay. so much issue, is because unlike with the, the Corn Pops breakdown, where I found a very nice table where it was like, we use this slogan from this year to this year, uh, the Kellogg's branding and marketing stuff to research is a bitch, because apparently they've had a lot of scandal around Kellogg's marketing and po- uh, Corn Pops. Did you know that apparently there was a racist Corn Pops uh, cereal box? I did not know that, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, apparently in 2017 there was like something where they were like, they released an accidentally racist Corn Pops box. Okay. Yeah, I didn't dig too deep into that because I'd already wasted too much time. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there's my deep dive for the month. Okay, good deep dive, David. Yeah, I know. Why did that catch my interest? I don't even fucking know. I, I, I couldn't tell you, David. <laughs> I've been hanging out with you too much. The more obscure a thing I can research now, the better. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Moving on to our next award. What did you have for your Roller Skating Keen Award? Your award for the best visual moment. To quote my notes, Dewey's Brick Purse. Yep, uh, <laughs> yep that, that, that was my first choice as well. <laughs> I love just like the way it looks when he puts it on his arm. The very clear like 80s pattern on the person and of itself. And then the final just revealing moment of him swinging it around at the kids and this wild flailing over his head that, you know, shouldn't terrify people. And then the casual way that he picks up the brick, looks at it for a second, and then just tosses it to the side. Like, very clearly premeditated. Uh-huh. I loved it. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I, I love this scene. It's it's amazing. It looks great. I, I like the way that they filmed it. I, I love the, the little triangle of terror i've been in that exact formation with bullies by the way when i was younger i don't know what it is about triangles that bullies like oh it's the most powerful shape you you got me there (laughs) Uh, that that was also my first choice but i had a feeling you would take that so i do have a backup uh and it is the scene where the crowd boys abandon malcolm i considered that one the the close-up of malcolm's face as he's explaining that he's pretty sure uh lois only saw him uh which i did also notice a small continuity error there uh and that you can see into the back seat and the Uh close-up of malcolm and the door is already open yeah Uh, which it very clearly was not before that, and you hear, like, the doors open as he's finishing. Yeah. I just like the transition from the the close-up of Malcolm to the full shot of the car, and the Crowboys are all just gone. It's a great scene, and I I love the way it's done, too. The just sudden hard break to whoop, and then the doors are all open and everybody's gone. And it's not actually a part of the award, but I feel like this is the most appropriate moment to bring something up. But David, this episode was directed by Todd Holland. And you know what was missing? A montage. Yeah, no yeah. montage. It's the first Todd Holland episode wow. with no montage. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I didn't realize this was a Todd Holland episode. It sure is. David, what did you have for your hot dog with mustard <laughs> on it? Your award for the best line. Uh, you actually stole it for your intro line, but a part that we didn't really go over in the summary, when Malcolm pulls off to the side, the Krellboins and everyone start uh, freaking uh, out. Ho- hold on, because, see, I-, I use that line as my intro, but the line before it did get my award. <laughs> Oh, really? Yes. That's funny. Uh, the, the line in question uh, comes from Lloyd as they're all talking about how much trouble they're going to be in because Lois saw them. Da- Dabney just says he's not going to get into a college. Racerhead's worried about his mom reacting. Then Lloyd says, we should just end things. We should drive off a cliff like Thelma and Louise. Which is amazing. And I love this <laughs> reference. Yes. It's so great, especially coming from these young, you know, kids, uh, which, I mean, it makes sense for a curl boy to yeah. get this reference. For sure. And then to pair it with my hot dog with a mustard on it line, which is Dabney just turns and looks at him and yells to that Lloyd, why does everything have to end in group suicide with you? I love this exchange between the Krell boys. Oh, yeah. And this then rolls right into what we were just talking about with the Roller Skating King Award, where Malcolm explains, look, guys, I don't think she saw you, and then poof, they're gone. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the crowd boys. <laughs> I, I'm beginning to get a whole new appreciation for Dabney and Lloyd. I will admit, at the start of the show, they annoyed me, but as, especially in season two, but even, like, as time wears on in season one, like, yeah, you start to really... <laughs> I start to really enjoy these guys. And moments like this are just perfect. I love them. (laughs) Especially, like, Lloyd in particular has really grown on me on this rewatch for some reason. All right. It depends on the episode on which one I like more. Fair. I think overall I like Lloyd more, but Dabney gets some really good moments. He does. (laughs) David, which plot line did you choose for the A plot of your heart? Uh, I chose the F plot. Okay. I love Francis's. Anytime you get to see Francis sort of mentally spar with Spangler, I enjoy it. Fair enough. I I always like seeing Richie. It's a good plot line. (laughs) Richie's good. Yeah. I, however, did not choose the F plot. Yeah? No, I went with the B plot. Okay. Uh, which I knew I would going into the episode. <laughs> uh, ne- neither of my watches uh, swayed me. Fair. <laughs> it's, it's, the, the reason I was excited for this episode is because I knew it was the Dewey Pertz episode. <laughs> the, the, that, that, that last scene is one of my like all-time favorite scenes from the entire show. It's just so good. <laughs> the Brick Pertz is pretty great. I love it. And I, I love, like, Hal's very clear desire for, like, <laughs> Dewey to be a trailblazer so that he can wear a purse. Right. And just Reese and his ineptitude at being nice. Yep. Yes. Yep. I, I, I'll I give you that. Yeah, it's really good. I just, I love Francis. I love the reveal of Spangler's plan. And who was your favorite character this episode? Uh, that also went to Francis. Okay. It was difficult. I had to, you know, toss things around. But uh, yeah, Francis ended up ultimately taking it from me. Yeah, this was the award I struggled with the most. 
Because I, I considered a lot of different characters for it. My top three were Francis Howell and Dewey. Uh, I, I also had Lloyd in the mix there, but yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I struggled between those four. I ended up going with Dewey. Okay. For, for the reasons we've already discussed, and then uh, it'll also tie in to, uh, I believe, the only awards left. The Let me double check. The shitty kid? Yep. Yep. Uh, because I had Dewey. For my least shitty kid. Yeah? For, you know, standing up for himself, uh, liking what he likes, uh, for, you know, defending himself from these bullies, uh, challenging his pointless, outdated gender norms. Good Dewey episode. He was the least shitty kid. It is a good Dewey episode. It's a very good argument. I wish I'd have thought of it. It's always hard for me to think of an an argument that I think you'll accept for Dewey because of my Dewey propaganda. Fair. But I, feel, I feel like we've kind of switched places. I feel like I've been choosing Dewey a lot lately. You have, and I love it. You see, what I've secretly done is manipulated you into joining the Dewey cult. Well, here, here's the other thing, though. Generally, uh-huh. in season one, the reason I wasn't choosing Dewey uh-huh. is because Dewey was constantly doing gross stuff. Dewey's pretty much out outgrown the gross stuff phase. I agree with that argument, and I could see how someone gives it to Dewey. However, I had to give it to Francis. Okay. Francis was a hero. Francis was true to himself and true to his friend at the same time. He struggled with his old life and his new life, and he made a mature decision, and, you know, he tried to help his friend, but he also abided by the rules of of the academy and his esprit de corps showed through in the end and he allowed for nature to take its course jake okay then yeah. I, I can accept that argument yeah i, I have no issue with francis's lee shitty kid there yeah I, I struggled a little bit with our final award same shittiest kid i did end up choosing reese interesting who was your second choice? Uh, Malcolm. Okay, so same. Uh, I wanted to give it to Malcolm so bad because he's a piece of shit. And, but, and yes. he does steal a car. He does. He Exactly. <laughs> so that's exactly where I was going to go. He lies to his mom. He steals a car. But I'm giving him bonus points because not only was he assaulted, but he deals with a racist. Yeah, and is going to have to continue dealing with this horrible woman for like months. Months, yeah. No, and that is absolutely horrendous and may play a part into why he's so shitty in the future. I think that kind of evil corrupts really easily. And I've never seen anything past this. Just saying. I just know Malcolm, all right? But yeah, no, I also had Reese. As much as I almost, I, I didn't want to give it to Reese because he's trying to be nice. Yeah. But yeah, he pins Dewey to the bed with the backpack. He throws rocks at him. The argument in my mind that I ended up choosing Reese uh, over Malcolm for is that Reese is perpetuating a cycle of violence and bullying and, you know, literally violently enforcing gender norms. So that's that's what I was about to say. With a certain level of awareness that I think makes it a little bit extra shitty from Reese's more mindless, like, thug violence that we often seem just the violence for violence sake that he often does. Okay. The the self-awareness actually hurts him a little bit here, I think. Yeah, I could see that. I was going to make a similar argument, and basically the same argument, just not as flushed out as far. So, yeah, I I get that. And that's, I mean, that's why I ended up choosing Reese, too, so. Okay. We we are just on the same page with these 
Shadiest Unleashed Shady Kid Awards recently. Yeah, we are. Most of season two, very few arguments. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm uh, I'm curious to track this trend to see how long it lasts. <laughs> you and I can't not argue for it's this. True, long. even when we're disagreeing, we're like, yeah, I can see your point though. That's a good choice. Like, yeah, I, what I, is wrong with us? I, I don't think we've been in like a full argument over this since like Casino, maybe. What's wrong? I know. Is are we growing up? No, Peter Pan, come back. God, no, that's wrong. All right, I'll make it um, my mission to argue with you more. I'm sorry. You really should. I should. Uh, but that, <laughs> that that just leaves one more segment, David. Oh, it's God. time for David's Guessing Game. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> uh, this week, boy, you could not have been more wrong. No, God. You, you, you thought that this episode was going to center around the grandparents coming to visit and them having to deal with that didn't i say something about dewey and a neighbor i thought maybe i didn't write it down i said it was either that or dewey like and one of the neighbors he disappears to all the time that was oh yeah yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah you 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 posited that it might be like a similar to the b arthur thing where, where dewey makes friends with like an elderly neighbor yep either way yeah oh, i was super wrong yeah completely off base completely wrong you're you're, you're, you're getting a zero on this one that's fair that's fair yeah. i mean dewey was in it but <laughs> yeah yeah you're right a zero is too harsh you, you should only get a zero if you literally don't do anything i'll give you a 20 wow I mean, I still fail, so what does it matter? But sure. <laughs> well, we're, we're keeping track of all these, and you're going to have a grade at the end. Oh, are we? No, but now I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, Boy, I, I wish I'd written down the first couple now. <laughs> you're going to have to go back and listen. Huh? 20%. Oh, that's such a dumb teacher thing to do, and I love it. Okay, so the next episode, David, is uh-huh. titled Krellboyne Girl. What is Krellboyne Girl about? I mean, clearly there is a new girl introduced to the Krellboyne class, and I feel like there's going to be some conflict. I'm trying to decide if... See, I have two thoughts. Either she's going to really like Malcolm and really, like, Malcolm can't stand her, or it's going to be like lord of the flies amongst the boys to get her attention okay and if it is that then i think malcolm's gonna be like standoffish and not like admit any interest like i think that if it's the lord of the flies the boys want to beat the crap out of each other to get with this krellboyne chick it's gonna be because she's like super smart whereas if it's malcolm's interested it's definitely she's just like really hot wow (laughs) look malcolm's a shallow fuck i'm sorry dabney and lloyd seem way more the type of people to be like but she's smart she has a good personality malcolm is a shallow Mm. bitch um but i think i'm gonna lock in it's it's a new girl to the krellboyne okay and i think that there's going to be a dissonance amongst the male members of the Krellboins, and I'm gonna say that Malcolm is standoffish, while the other Krellboins are, at the very least, accepting, if not vying for her attention. Okay. It's an interesting theory, David. We'll see. We'll, we'll see you next week. You're right. I don't like this game. I love this game, I David. bet you do. <laughs> I feel so dumb now. I hate you. 
Well, that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or you can reach us on Twitter and vote in our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls, where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you like the banter back and forth and want to chat with us live and hang out and enjoy video games, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we play all sorts of different video games throughout the week and chat with our viewers and just have general chaotic crazy conversations much like we do here thanks for listening and remember life is unfair